So, hello, my name is Tom and I'm the Minister of St John's Downshire Hill in Hampstead and um, this is the first of our COVID conversations where we are inviting a different speaker each week to uh, just have a chat about different things to do with uh, which, are, which arise because of the current situation with coronavirus and the different issues that that creates and particularly thinking about uh, that from a Christian uh, perspective and what the Bible says about these things. Um, I'm delighted this evening to welcome J uh, Jeremy Marshall um, and uh, he's with me here on the screen and uh, we are uh, going to be having a chat. Um, the way it's going to work is that I'm going to interview him for a bit and uh, if um, as we go a question comes to you please do um, comment in the, uh, the live chat which is on YouTube um, and uh, put a question there and we'll do our best to, to put that directly to, to Jeremy. Now Jeremy's made it very clear you can ask any question you like, no, um, no problems with any questions at all, any question you like about anything and um, he will be glad to take it. I guess if we have too many questions we won't get through them all but um, hopefully we'll be able to do our best with them. But I'll, I'll, I'll just start, I've got a few questions to get going with um, but don't wait for me to, to prompt you, just, just write a question in the chat and we'll get to it um, probably after about 20 minutes or so, but we'll see how we go. So, hello Jeremy, good, good evening, thank you for joining us. Hey Tom, uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, and um, Jeremy, why don't you start by just telling us a bit about yourself and your background? Sure, so I'm in Seven Oaks in Kent. Um, we've got three, uh, married to Jeanette, we've got three adult children, two of whom are here, eating us out of house and home. And um, yeah, I've been in I've been in lockdown like everybody, but we'll come on to my uh, rather complex medical history in a minute. But in the last few weeks, I haven't been here. I've been in hospital mainly. And um, actually right now, as everybody else is starting to come out of uh, lockdown, I'm having to go further in. I used to work in the city. Uh, I was even a banker, right? Terrible profession. And uh, my last job was chief executive of a family owned private bank called Seahor & Co which I imagine in Hampstead, a number of your well-heeled parishioners uh, are familiar with, but your secret's safe with me. It's a very old family-owned private bank, 350 years old, still owned by the same family. And um, I was fortunate enough to be the first ever non-family chief executive, which was great fun. We've got a very beautiful building in Fleet Street. I've uh, been there since 1690. It's got courtyards and fountains and old masters. So yeah, it was kind of a, a dream job really, Tom. And uh, so you, you were doing that and then what, what happened? Yeah, one day um, my life changed forever. Um, seven, eight years ago in the shower, I found a tiny lump like a little pea on my ribs. I went to the GP who said, oh, it's nothing to worry about, it's just a fatty lump. But maybe some of the people watching, you've been through this, you get referred then to check it out. And I got referred and referred and eventually I got referred to the Marsden, which only does one thing, cancer. So even the most stupid person like me could figure out, okay, you had cancer. But the prognosis was reasonable. This was 2013, so seven years ago now. And they said, um, you've got this very rare type of cancer. It's called a sarcoma. It's like a soft tissue cancer. Uh, we should be able to deal with it. So I went through treatment. And uh, then for about two years, everything went back to normal. I thought after this six months of treatment, you know, it was just a scare. And then uh, almost exactly to the day, five years ago, I was at a friend's house here in Seven Oaks. I went to adjust my collar. It was a hot evening. We were having a meal. And as I did it, I felt this massive lump on my collarbone, not like a pea, but like a golf ball. 
and within a few seconds my life changed forever so I went back to the hospital I was sitting in the waiting room and uh, they said please come through and the nurse as we were walking down the corridor said I'm really sorry and that was the only warning I had because they the oncologist in the room said look we're not quite sure how we missed this in our screening but you've got tumors everywhere and um, we can't cure you and of course the next question you ask is well how long do you think I've got and they said well probably 18 months so um, yeah, I burst into tears. Please don't think I'm some kind of expert on cancer or anything, I'm not an expert on anything. Um, it's been really, really hard. I've been on a sort of one man mission, Tom, to sort of absorb any spare capacity in the NHS. So as well as um, basically seeing, I've, I've had 25 chemotherapies, I'm, I'm in chemo now, uh, radiotherapy operations. I've also, I lost the sight in both eyes, which was quite tough. Um, and um, then in the last few weeks, having done oncology and ophthalmology, I've got eyesight back in one sight, in one eye. Then I thought I'd go on to cardiology. I'm keen to explore all the medical profession. So I got um, a few weeks ago, I got a high fever and I got chest pains. So I thought I probably had coronavirus. I went back to the hospital. They ran all the tests. They haven't actually found what the issue is. Um, in fact, tomorrow I've got the debrief from the uh, cardiologist. So I've been through lots of tests. It, it, could, it could be the side effects of cancer treatment. It could be um, what's called pericarditis, which is inflammation of the, um, the sort of area around the heart. Um, and while I was back in hospital, they did a scan and then they said, okay, your tumors have grown, so you've got to restart. So last Thursday, yeah, I spent 14 hours in hospital having a cardiac MRI all kinds of kidney tests and then chemotherapy. So yeah, it's kind of a, a happy life keeping the medical profession on their toes. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, it's enough to, to crush um, anybody, you know, in terms of certainly emotionally and psychologically. What has been your response to that as, you know, as a human being? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest impact of cancer or all the other things I've had has been the impact on your, on your loved ones. And, and that's hard because you're kind of spreading grief to have to go for home from hospital and tell my children who are at university, um, look, I'm going to die, even though obviously I'm still alive, was, was, was and is very hard. But I would say the biggest emotion I feel, Tom, is fear, fear. And for the last, yeah, five, seven years, I, I feel like I'm living with uh, the sword of Damocles over my head because I don't know how long I, I, I might die in a few months. Or I, I might not. And, um, Fear comes also when you're on public transport, for example, when I heard people coughing or sneezing, I felt afraid because I had no immune system. And now I would say to everybody watching, welcome to my world, <laughs> because what I've been going through for five years is what everyone's going through. So, yeah, I, I am afraid of, 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 of dying and, and of death because it's an ugly thing. What keeps me going is the presence of, of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, just to give you an example, this time last week, I was in a, I, I, there are many things I don't like about medical treatment. One thing I don't like is MRIs because it feels like you're in a coffin and uh, you've got the kind of tube right over your face. And you, you, I was in there for, a, for an hour and you can't move and, you know, you, you feel, you feel like, it, like, like you're buried alive, basically. And then I, I remembered, as I felt afraid, I remembered the words of Jesus. Look, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age even in an MRI machine, or maybe the most famous chapter in the Bible, the 23rd Psalm has a verse that says this, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil for you're with me. That's been, that's been my experience. If we are Christians, God doesn't promise to build us a bypass. There's no M25 to avoid going through death, right? We all have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And that has been the experience of people in the UK and worldwide, isn't it? We all think we'll live forever and suddenly we might die. Mm. What's kept me going is the presence of God in the valley of the shadow of death. And I've, I've found that makes all the difference. Mm. Thank you. So you've mentioned your Christian faith. I mean, tell us what that, you know, how you, how you came to faith and, you know, how that has ended up making this, this difference for you in this time. Yeah, I've been a, I grew up in a Christian home, which always begs the question, like, you know, or maybe you're just kind of pre, pre-programmed to, to do it. Uh, that's a fair question. I think, you know, if you grew up in an atheist home, you could be pre-programmed the other way. The key question I would invite anyone listening or watching to think about is, is it true? Is it true? That, that's why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because when I was a teenager, I, I suddenly realized, yeah, actually it is true. And I believe it's true in, in facing death. And it, it gives me hope in the face of death. Now, when I say it, what do I mean? Well, the central claim of the Christian faith, which is extremely relevant to cancer and to coronavirus, is this. That if you were there on the morning of Easter Sunday, AD 33 or 34, with an iPhone, you could have recorded what the eyewitnesses say, that the stone was rolled away, and Jesus, who'd been crucified three days earlier, came back to life. Which is not only, a, a, if it really happened, is, is incredibly historically important, but it means we can know him now. We can, we can know him now. Jesus claims in the Bible that he holds the keys of death and hell. And um, if, you are, if you had the key to something, if you had the key to a car, you own it. So the Christian claim is that the God who made the whole universe owns death. And... Um, I find that makes all the difference. It gives me it gives me hope in the face of death. Wonderful, and um, that uh, has you know is an incredible thing to hear. I mean, t- tell us a bit more about what you know, what 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 your uh, what it, what it was in the first place that that has convinced you. You know, this this truth. You know, if this is true, you've talked about what what was it that that yeah. really made you think this is this is true, and I can stake my life on it. So, you know, in the city, right, you make investments. And when you make investments, you analyze something. But that's what I did, wealth management, private banking. You don't just throw the money out the window and hope it comes back. You, you make an analysis. So the Christian faith is based on an analysis of what Christians believe is a series of communications from God to us, the Bible. The Bible is 66 books written over 1,500 years. What the Bible tells me, and I would say from my own experience, I believe that to be true, but you have to decide for yourself, is this, that God made the world good. He made everything good. And these three intruders, if you like, broke into the world, fear, suffering and death. And they're wrecking it. And eventually death is going to get us, right? Even in Hampstead or Seven Oaks, it's going to get us. Now, if we look at the world that has natural evil in it, coronavirus, cancer, But if we're honest, there's also evil within each one of us. Each one of us have done things that have broken our relationship with God. Solzhenitsyn, the the Russian dissident, said the line between good and evil doesn't run between countries, doesn't run between political parties. It runs down right, right down the middle of each one of us. And I can only speak for myself, but that's true with me. I'm I'm a mixture of, of good and evil, and we all are. So the Bible tells me that the basic Christian, the basic human problem is that 
not the physical death, but eternal death, separation from God because of the things that we've done wrong that have broken our relationship. But that begs the question, well, why doesn't God do something about it? And the Christian claim is that God did do something about it and he became a human being, that the eternal creator God who made the universe 75 trillion light years across, 2000 years ago, became a human being and walked the dusty streets of Palestine. And what I particularly find helpful about that, Tom, is that, um, to quote, there's a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor who stood up against the persecution of the Jews. He was sent to a concentration camp. He was executed just before the war's end. And just before he died, he smuggled out of his jail cell a little piece of paper and he wrote on this, only a suffering God can help us. Only a suffering God can help us. That's the Christian claim that God himself suffered. Now, if there is a God who made the universe, how can he suffer? He suffered because he became a human being. And when, when I look at the eyewitness accounts, I read, for example, of Jesus in a garden called Gethsemane, maybe a bit like Hampstead Heath. But he was the night before he was betrayed and he knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to have to die. And he prayed, Father God, if it's your will, take this cup away from me, but let not my will, but your will be done. So I, I believe that Jesus loved me and loves you and that he went to the cross because that was the only way to get us back to God. Again, our, our problem is our relationship with God is broken. On the cross, cross I believe Jesus paid the bill. And what, what motivated him to do that? What, why did he do that? I, I don't have a choice in my illness, but Jesus had a choice. Love, love that God didn't want to leave us in the mess we're in, but came into the world and suffered for us. So for me, that makes all the difference. Now, if you're watching this, you're not a Christian. I realize there's, a, there's some very big claims in that. And please poke away, you know, be skeptical, ask Tom or me any questions you like. But that, that's what I believe, anyway. And is this just something we need, you know, at that point when the doctors look us in the eye and tell us that, that, that you know, the, there's a, a serious prognosis for us, you know, death is staring us in the face. Is that, is that just when we need this? No, I think um, if, we, if we look at the eyewitness accounts, we see that it's not just about facing death. So being a Christian also should make a radical difference to us day, day to day. So it's not just about pie in the sky when, when we die. It's about knowing God now and, and being reconciled with God. So Jesus told a story about two brothers and um, one brother, the younger one, said to the father, I, I wish you were dead. I, wa I want your money. He probably went, probably should have been working in the city. <laughs> so he took his father's money, went off, blew it all on wine, women and song. And then a great crash came, maybe like coronavirus. And this guy was reduced to, to poverty. And, and he was, which for a Jewish boy was terrible. He was so hungry, he was reduced to longing to eat the pig food. That's all the job he could get. He couldn't get a job except caring for pigs. And... Um, then it says he came to his senses. So that, that, that's what being a Christian is, is like. Yes, it's about hope in the, in the face of death, but it's also about now coming to our senses and realizing I have a problem. And then the, the, the boy says, I must go home to the father, but I'm not worthy to be a, I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll, I'll be a slave. But even a slave is being better than in his pigsty. So in the story, he, he starts off home. And when he's a great way off, the father in the story, who's God, sees him. And the father runs to him and throws his arms around him, covered with pig mark, and says, welcome home. So that's a picture of what being a Christian is like. It's about realizing we're in a pigsty and that this world will not satisfy us and we need to come home. 
But there's a second brother in the story. And this is important because I think that's the most common misunderstanding, at least in England, that I find. Because the second brother is very respectable and moral. The first brother's a banker. The, the, the second brother maybe would be a, an oncologist, let's say, someone everybody admires because they do a good job. And this brother's out working and he hears this party going on. And he, he comes, comes near the home and he calls the servant and says, what, what's happening? And the servant says, haven't you heard your brother's come home? And he becomes very angry and he won't go in. And the father, God, comes out to him and says, you know, come in, come in, join the party. And he says, no, you owe me. All my life I've worked for you. You never gave me anything. I'm not coming in. And that's a picture. Some of us are like the younger brother, but some of us are like the older brother. And we think, I don't need God because I never did anything wrong. And the story ends on an ambiguous note because the younger brother realizes I'm in the pigsty. He's home in the party. And the older brother who thinks God owes me, I'm, I'm pretty good, really. He ends up outside and we don't know what happens. And that's the end of the story. Wonderful. So it's about sort of relationship, that relationship with that, with the father, even now in the face of everything else. That Yeah, I think also, Tom, you know, look, we're all looking for happiness, aren't we? And a man called Augustine, who wrote about 350, 400 years after Jesus, said, you, God, have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. So even leading aside death, which is a pretty big leave aside, right, because we're all going to die, even for the here and now, we will never find satisfaction. We will never find fulfillment until we get right with God. Mm. Thank you. And, you, you know, you're absolutely right, isn't it? You know, death is the thing that we think happens to other people, isn't it? And we until until we're realizing it's going to happen to us and um but what would you say to the person who says you know well you know when you die you die and you just cease to be and really the best thing to do is to just try and make the most of life now not don't worry about the future enjoy what you've got while you have it don't what's the point of being afraid of death you know um what would you say to that i think we're all afraid of death unless we're completely bonkers (laughs) But yeah, the, 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 there's two bets, right? You can either bet there is nothing, this life is all it is, it's all meaningless. That's our friend Richard Dawkins' view. He says, the universe has nothing to say to us but utter pitiless indifference. There's no meaning, there's no meaning to love, family, children, work, nothing. It's all utterly pointless. You know, enjoy life while you can. That's, that's a consistent worldview. Or there is a God, and that God is speaking to us. This is an incredibly important question because my contention is that each person in the world is going to meet God. In that sense, all roads lead to God, right? We're all going to meet God because I believe there is a God and I believe he made the universe and he made each one of us. And therefore, the question is, which, which of those true paths is true? Which is true? And if, if, if what I'm saying is true, that's more important than anything else. So all I'm asking people who are watching is have an open mind. Yeah, if you believe that the Dawkins view is true, fine. But if you believe that maybe there's something in this, please investigate it. I I beg of you because it's so important. Mm -hmm. And who would not want hope in the face of death? But hope is only useful if it's true. So if people quite often say to me, yeah, in your position, isn't it just wishful thinking, which I understand it's a valid question. Yeah, and that's fair enough, because the Christian faith is only useful if it's true. It, otherwise, it's a, to quote a well-known book, it's a God delusion, right? So is it true? Is it true? Please investigate. Being a Christian is not about a leap in the dark. It's certainly not about being moral or respectable. It's about meeting a person, and it's about establishing 
are the claims that Jesus makes about himself true or not? You have to decide that. Mm. And if you go to buy a car, what do you do? You go for a test drive, you kick the tires, you read reviews. Please do the same thing on the Christian faith. Mm. Look into it. Have an open mind. Yeah, thank you. So I'm going to encourage people, if they'd like to, to, um, to, to ask some questions um, on the live chat. You know, you've heard some of what Jeremy's had to say. I mean, he, he's made it very clear. Don't hold back. Um, you can ask about anything you like, whether it's to do with uh, what he's spoken about, to do with his illness or you know, and how he's addressing that from, from, with, with his faith and other things to do with that, or, or whether it's to do with um, digging into the details of why he's so um, confident and, and sure that this is true and how this can, can help him in the situation that, that he's in and how it might help us. So do... do um, uh, do 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 add a question in the in the comments. I've got I've got some questions to be going on with, so I'll do that, and then I'll I'll keep a lookout for questions that may pop up. Um, so, I mean, you know, one thing people often say when they meet somebody who seems to have really sort of, um, you know, seems to be sh have some confidence about these things, is they say, "Well, this is lovely. This is lovely for you." I wish I had your faith, but you know, I, I, I don't, I don't see it like that and I don't have it. I mean, what, what, how would you respond to that? Yeah, uh, fair enough. I would say what, what puts you off the Christian faith? What, why do you not believe it's true? And faith is, uh, yeah. Sometimes people say to me, I wish I had your faith as if like, I wish I was left-handed, right? Some people are born left-handed. Some people are born right-handed. It's just random, but I don't think for me or most people who are Christians, that's, that's the case there maybe are a few people in the world who are naturally kind of spiritual or religious i can assure you as a banker who worked for 35 years in the city of london i'm not one of them so yeah just de decide it for yourself um don't i i, I you know the, the claims i'm making are really radical and and shocking in a way and you must decide if they're true as christians we can't we, we wouldn't want to browbeat you we, we're just trying to explain why we think it's true. Why, why especially we think the resurrection happened. That's the central claim of Christianity, that one person came back from the dead. Eddie Izzard, I'm sure you have lots of Guardian readers in Hampstead. Eddie was recently interviewed in The Guardian. I actually quite like The Guardian because it's free, right? Free is good for bankers. Yeah. I, I read it most days. And um, he was interviewed in The Guardian and he said this, said, all my life, I, I Eddie, was um, traumatized by the death of my mother when I was six or seven from cancer. And uh, if only she or someone had come back through the clouds to tell us there's something there beyond the grave. Mm -hmm. So that longing for something beyond the grave, some answer to death, is extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. When I read that, I, I was moved because I couldn't have put it better myself, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is exactly the Christian claim that one person did come back and not only came back, but actually defeated death. Mm, mm. So the Christian claim is this, we have the answer to death. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's an incredibly bold state claim, but yeah, we have the answer to death and it's not about us. It's not about being good. It's about a person. It's about a person, Jesus Christ, who has defeated death and who claims I have the keys. I, I own death. In fact, the Bible says at the end, death itself will die. Mm. If, 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 we, if we follow Jesus, if we love him and we go to be with him, then death itself will be swallowed up. Mm. And who doesn't want that? 
So why, why follow death? Why, why not choose life? I, 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 this is not like a banker trying to con you. And, and there's no charge either. To be a Christian is just coming with open hands. It's not about giving money or becoming religious. No, it's about accepting a free offer, a free offer of what we Christians call grace, which is just something we get that we don't deserve. And so, I mean, plenty of religion, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of religions in the world, aren't there, that make claims about these sorts of things and maybe are slightly different from the claims that uh, Jesus made, you know, how do you, why, why are you so sure this, this is right, Christianity is right, Jesus is right, and, and others are wrong? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, other religions have, have very important elements of truth in them, and I certainly think we should, um, you know, be on friendly terms, I mean, and especially if you look at the other great Abrahamic religions, you know, Muslim, uh, Islam, and Judaism, we have a lot in common, I mean, Jesus appears in, in the Quran nine times. In fact, Muslims believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe he's, he's, he's God. So if we look at our Jewish and Muslim friends, you know, we, we, we all have Father Abraham. We share a lot. But the difference is that, yeah, Christians believe that Jesus is the son of God, which is very hard for both our Muslim and Jewish friends to accept. And I, I understand that. So the, the, the claim to have conquered death and the claim that God became a human being and suffered for us, those are, those are very radical and, and, and shocking claims, which our Jewish and Muslim friends wouldn't believe. Now, if we look at Eastern religions or something, that, that's different. I mean, you can argue that Buddhism isn't really a religion at all. It's a way of life. Um, but in terms of the other great monotheistic religions, yeah, we, we should be friendly and love and, and, and chat to them in a, in a really kindly way. But what, what's the difference? The difference is who's Jesus? Mm. And, and Jews would believe that, no, the Messiah is yet to come. And, and Muslims would believe actually Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not, he's not God. So that, that's the Christian claim. Mm. That's, that's why we believe he rose from the dead. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, there's a few questions coming up here. So um, are there any particular Bible passages that have been meaningful for you through this time? <laughs> Yeah, just a few. In fact, I'm doing a, a daily. Yeah, I could, I could bore you for hours on that, Tom. So I'm, I'm doing a, a daily series of devotions, actually, 20 devotions from the Bible um, on, on that. And um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, the 23rd Psalm is amazing. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, basically, there's two shepherds in life, right? There's, the, there's God, the loving father, or there's death, right? Basically, either follow death or follow or follow or follow life. I love the verse at the end of the 23rd Psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. So where's a Christian, where are we going? We're going home, mm. we're going home. Mm. And, and walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we, we have God with us. Mm. And if, if I look at the New Testament, I love some of the eyewitness account stories of Jesus. For example, um, uh, that Jesus has a friend called Lazarus, and um, Jesus lets him die. He gets ill. Jesus, his disciples say, aren't you going to go and cure him? No, no, he just waits. And Lazarus has been dead for four days when Jesus eventually rocks up. And Lazarus has got these two sisters and they're very sad and also, frankly, annoyed. <laughs> yeah, they're angry. They're, they're a mixture of feelings. And maybe we feel like that. And, and one of them, Martha, says to Jesus, um, don't you, you know, if you've been here, uh, Lazarus wouldn't have died. 
and um, Jesus says, makes an makes a incredible claim to her. He says, um, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Mm. So mm. The, and, and, and then he says, do you believe this? Mm. And, and, and she, she says, yes, but, but she, has a mixture of, she has a mixture of feelings because on the one hand she says yes, but then a few minutes later Jesus says, okay, roll the stone away because I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And she says, no, 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 hang on a minute. Don't do that because he's going to smell, right? So when we read these eyewitness accounts, we, we, see a, we, we see, which is very like us, we see a mixture of faith and also of, of doubt. So I, I love that claim of Jesus, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Mm. And that for me encapsulates the fact that there is an answer to death. Mm. Because th th this human unwillingness to think about death is really strong. And that's why coronavirus it shapes people because we normally think we think about all kinds of things that might happen to us right we relationships we might get into jobs we might get children we might have places we might travel there's nothing wrong with that may or may not happen but the one thing that we're absolutely sure of is going to die we do not want to think about benjamin franklin who was one of the founding fathers said um you can avoid everything in life except death and taxes Mm. Having worked in private banking, I tell you, that's not altogether true, right? <laughs> well, I'm sure everybody in Hampstead is up to date with their tax returns. They can't avoid death. What's the death rate watching this? 100%. 100%. So I, I love that claim of Jesus. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Thank you so much. This, this is really helpful. So we've got, we've got a few more questions coming in. So, um, uh, I mean, one question here. What... what Thank you for sharing your faith with us. What, what part in your life did your faith play before your diagnosis? Yeah, I, I was a Christian before. Um, and um, I would say probably not, not, not a big enough, <laughs> not a big enough part. Um, and if, if you're watching this and you're a Christian and you think, oh, I'd love to be you know, more able to share my faith and getting cancer is a good way of doing it. I wouldn't wish cancer on, on anyone. But what happened to me when I had cancer was it was an acid test. Do I really believe it? Do I really believe it? Because it's one thing to go to church and, you know, go, go through the kind of formalities of religion. But do, is it really true? Is it really true? So that brought the reality home. And the other thing it, it helped me is to think, I really, what do I want to do in the short time I've got left? I love to do this, to be honest. If I was sitting here with a cure for coronavirus, I had a vaccine and I didn't tell anyone, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? That would be really evil, in fact. No, if you discovered a cure or a vaccine for coronavirus, you'd be twittering and telling everybody, wouldn't you? I've, I've got the answer. So that, that's, that's, what, that's what difference it's made to me. Mm. I just love to tell people about Jesus. Mm. Wonderful. And um, the question here about the what it what it feel like to you know to to feel the presence of of God and of Jesus in in this time? So you know, uh, David here says I had a pretty severe knee injury um, a couple of years ago, and also experienced a heightened presence of Jesus during the first few hours. What does it feel like for you to experience His presence? What do we mean when we're talking about that? Yeah, what do cancer is a very lonely disease. Like last, when I was in the hospital, I was in a room on my own. The only people I saw were nurses or doctors. No one could come and visit me. Even when I'm doing chemo, normally my wife comes along, but you just sit there all day. It's, it's lonely. So 
what is it? I never had a kind of supernatural vision or anything. Again, I'm a banker, right? I'm not really a person prone to the sort of fanciful. And um, I remember what Jesus said. So when I read the words that I believe God wrote to us, the Bible, then they, they come alive. Um, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's the promise as a Christian that God will never leave us alone, even and especially in the face of death. Because death, what, what's death? Death is separation, isn't it? It's loneliness. Because we're, we're going off on our own and we're leaving behind all our family and friends. But we, as a Christian, we're never alone. Never. Mm. God, will God forsake us? No, never. Never, never, never. Mm. He's, he's with us and we can, we, we can rely on him. He's trustworthy. Mm. That, that's a big question in cancer. Yeah, does God exist? And if he exists, what's he like? Uh, I, I would tell you, friends, he's trustworthy. Mm. And, you know, if you, it's great to hear you you're that confidence. I mean, how do you reconcile the idea of God's being loving and and having power you know over your life's events um you know with, with the fact that you have suffered you know how can a loving god allow the suffering yeah. you're experiencing but that's a very profound question and one that people have wrestled with i'm not sure i have a hundred percent answer to that i think there are philosophical answers and the bible has theological answers but really my answer to that is not um an intellectual framework it's a person a person who walked the dusty streets of palestine 2000 years ago and he went through suffering much worse than me because he loved me so how do i know that god loves me because he died for me and i believe he died he, he died for you and god would be quite just in in throwing us away because we've all sinned the bible says and fallen short of the glory of god each one of us god god doesn't owe us anything We've all done things, terrible things that, that, that are wrong. But the wonderful news is that God doesn't want anyone to perish. God doesn't want anyone to be separated eternally from him. But he wants everyone to come to, to faith. So how do I reconcile a loving God with the reality of the world as we see it? I reconcile that on the cross. On the cross. Mm. Because what I see there is a, is a human being and also God suffering in my place. And, and, and creating a way out otherwise it's hopeless literally it's hopeless there's no answer it's all we're all doomed but the cross the cross shows there is an answer to suffering mm -hmm. yeah thank you thank you and you know as you say these are these are big questions and some of them take a we could talk all, all, all night about them couldn't we in one sense there's you know questions like that and um if people want to look into that question further there may be other um you know resources we can we can point to as well and um I mean, I, how would you um how would you encourage christians who feel who, who kind of um are facing suffering and maybe are, are feeling fearful and are struggling to articulate perhaps things as clearly as you have articulated and might sort of think oh dear, is there something wrong with me and you know if i'm lacking in faith you know, where, what would you say to them? Yeah, no, look, first of all, please don't think there's anything amazing about me. Not at all. I struggle as well. I often think, why me? Why not somebody else? So we all, that's to be human, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So please don't think I'm some kind of like super Christian who just floats along. No, it's very, it's very, very hard. The last month has been awful. The impact being in hospital and thinking, you know, I've got coronavirus on my family. has been really tough. 
I, I would, in a case like that, I would refer someone to us. I always go to the same place, which is the Bible. And there's a wonderful story for someone who's like that, which is Jesus in the storm. So one day Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they get in the boat and these disciples are mainly experienced fishermen. This is like normal life, right? Just going through life, perfectly normal. And Jesus goes to sleep. And in the middle of the lake, a tremendous storm blows up and the boat starts to sink. And the disciples are full of fear and panic stricken. And Jesus is still asleep. And what do they do in the storm? They, they, they doubt. They doubt God's character. Maybe some people watching this doubt that God even exists. But if you think, well, I'm a Christian or maybe I am, we may doubt what God's like. Because they, they roughly shake him and wake him up and say, don't you care if we're going to drown? And Jesus gets up and he, he stills the storm with a word. And then something strange happens because in the mill pond calmness, with not a breath of wind, a few seconds earlier, it's been you know, like a hurricane. And only God can do that, right? But it then says something strange. It says the disciples were even more afraid. They're even more afraid in the mill pond calmness than in the raging storm. Why? Because it began to dawn on them who was in their boat. It began to dawn on them that this ordinary looking rabbi was, was, was actually more, more than met the eye. And what's the answer then in our fear, which I certainly experience? It's to know God more. And I would also say that when the disciples got out of the boat on the other side of the lake, shaking, dripping wet, they knew far more about God than if they just had a Sunday afternoon picnic sail across the lake. So if you're a Christian, you've got Jesus in your boat, but you need to know him more. You need to know him and experience him, not know about him, but know him more. And if you do, the bigger fear of God, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, will drive out the fear of death. And if you're not a Christian, invite him into your boat. In fact, he wants to come into your boat. He's inviting himself. And have him in the boat, because eventually the boat is going to sink, right? We're all going to die. And what does Jesus do in the story? He brings them to the other side. And that's what he offers to us, to bring us to the other side through death. Well, mm. So yeah, if you're feeling afraid, it's, it's not a sin to be afraid. It's, it's natural. No. But what we need is we need to know the Jesus in our boat. Thank you so much. So, ta ta I mean, last question, really, last big question. What, I mean, how, um, if somebody's hearing this for the first time or, you know, wants to take things further, what would you recommend they do? Yeah. So, Tom, please either, you know, if you've got a Christian friend who's invited you along, just ask them questions. It's as simple as that. And if, if you think, Actually, I think my Christian friend's a bit of an idiot. I don't really think they know much about anything. Then ask Tom, right? So the, the, the church is not about preaching morality. We're a group of people who have met someone and we want to share what he's like. And if you're not sure what he's like or if he even exists, then please ask questions. Be sceptical. I think, Tom, you're going to run a course, right, where people can come and ask questions. And come, come we're, 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 we're just seeking for truth. We're seeking truth. We're seeking hope in the face of death. And come and decide for yourself if it's true. Mm. Thank you so much. And we, so, you know, we'd love to encourage you to, so, yeah, as, as Jeremy said, talk, talk to a Christian friend. That's probably the most important thing you can do. Find a Christian that you know and ask them why they believe what they believe. 
Um, if you want to get in touch with us directly and ask you know, me that question or whatever, um, if you go onto our website and you go onto the, um, the COVID conversations page, which is just sjdh.org forward slash cc, um, then you, if you go there, you can give your contact details and um, I can get in touch with you and I'd love to, to chat. Um, and as Jeremy said, we, we hope after we've done this series of conversations for, for four weeks, um, we hope to do a, sh a very short series of sort of three evenings, which will be more discussion based um, and where we come together, maybe on Zoom or something like that, and just give a chance to, to open the Bible and really look together at what it means to be a Christian and, and uh, what, are, what Christians base their faith on, whether these things are true and whether that could be true um, for you. So uh, we will have more details about that. But the, you know, the next thing to come back to would be, uh, you know, come and join us on a Sunday here on the YouTube channel on Sunday morning at 10.30. Um, or uh, the, our website also has details about how to join our evening service, which takes place on Zoom uh, on a Sunday. Um, so again, go to our website, sjdh.org, which has all the, the details that you need. And then come back a week today. So Thursday next week, eight o'clock we'll have our second COVID conversation and uh, that is with Sir Jeremy Cook who is a former High Court judge and uh, we're going to be digging into the evidence with him and whether the evidence for Christianity stands up in court. So, yeah, one other thing Tom sorry I forgot to mention this so I can just plug my book which sadly I don't make any money from it's called Beyond the Big Sea it just came out it's a kind of expanded version I just said it's very small it's aimed at people who wouldn't call themselves Christians, and it's just my story of cancer. And if you want, that's another way to, to explore it further, and I'm sure Tom would be happy to send you a copy if you want. Yeah, certainly. Please do get in touch if you'd like to. I think you might find it on Amazon. Or, I think that's right, isn't it? And, um, yeah, or, ten, or ten Amazon, or 10 of those is the publisher. Yeah, text, yeah the website, 10ofthose.com. For The Big C by Jeremy Marshall tells more of uh, Jeremy's story. So um, it just remains to say thank you so much, Jeremy. There's, there's a number of people here on the chat just expressing their gratitude for um, what you've been saying and your uh, encouraging answers to, to all these questions that have been flung at you this evening. We're really grateful to you. Uh, we as a church will certainly be praying for you um, and we're really encouraged to hear you um, speak of the things you, you, you've said this evening. And uh, we'd love others who, who've been hearing these things to, to, to know that same um, uh, faith and confidence in the face of of all that life throws at us um, that you've been sharing um, by putting trust in Jesus. So um, thank you for this evening, and uh, uh, we will. Uh, I'm going to wrap up there. <laughs>